collapse, collapse, coming soon to see, the result of inaction from masses who claim they're free. The Collapse, Sunfire Carl B. This is The End. I'm your host, the pop mythologist. Thank you to Sunfire Carl B. for letting me use his lyrics from his song called The Collapse, which he wrote for an annual event called February Album Writing Month, or FAM for short. That's F-A-W-M dot org. And it's a month-long online event that happens every year in the month of February, and all kinds of musicians participate. You have consummate professionals who are experts of their craft, and you also have someone like me who literally has no idea what the hell he's doing. And what's beautiful about FOM is that when we're in that space together, everyone is equal. There's no judgment. And I've been participating in it since, I think, around either 2014 or 2015. And I've been away from it a couple of years just because of life. But I've been back this year and have been participating in a limited capacity. Anyway, the idea of FOM is to write as many songs as you can during the month of February. And part of the idea also is that inspiration is overrated. It's all about just turning off the critical voice in your head and just writing a song, no matter how much you think it might suck. It's not about making it smooth and polished, though, I mean, a lot of songs that are posted there are polished, but that's not the point. And, you know, rough songs that are written really quickly and just recorded in one take on your phone are equally celebrated on FOM. And you just do it because we're all doing it together and there comes a certain courage to suck if necessary from this collective doing together. And sometimes in the process, or actually often, magic happens. And I can't emphasize enough just how safe a space it is for failing if you need to. And if there was ever a place where failure is applauded, it's here on FOM. Now, I have a great interview ready for you today, so I don't want to spend too much time over explaining what FOM is on this introduction. But uh, I, I knew that a lot of people would not be familiar with it, so I did want to offer a brief primer. And one of the things that's really cool about FOM is that any participant can issue what are called challenges, which is what it sounds like. You put out an open challenge for anyone to write a song about whatever topic or theme that you determine. So the topic that I chose for my challenge this year was collapse. I've had a good number of participants so far, and I reached out to some of the early participants to do an interview. And I had a really great group of artists from literally around the world, which shows just how international a community FOM is, which is one of the things that I love about it. We had an amazing conversation that covered many different dimensions of collapse and how music and art relate to collapse. And my interviewees were all very well informed about the various risk factors of collapse. Remember, this podcast is about pop culture and collapse. And even though past episodes have mostly looked at fiction, music is also a part of pop culture. And those of you on Reddit may know that there's an entire subreddit called Collapse Music. So for anyone interested in the intersections of music and collapse, you're in for a real treat. 
So one last thing real quick. During the interview, we use some words that people may not be familiar with. So let me explain those. I already told you what FOM is. It means February Album Writing Month. A farmer is someone who participates in FOM. And that's farmer, not farmer. And then there's farming, which is a verb to mean that you're doing farm. When you're farming, you're participating in farm. Okay, hope that clarifies. Enjoy the interview. I am here with numerous talented, wonderful musicians generously making time to talk with me today. Uh, first, I wanted to give each of you a chance to briefly introduce yourselves. Please give us your real name if you want to share it, your artist or band name. The username you use on FOM and the title of the song that you wrote for the Collapse Challenge, or just say that you wrote numerous ones if you wrote numerous ones. Okay, why don't we start here with Deirdre? Hi, I'm Deirdre Murphy. I'm not currently in a band. My FOM name is Wild Dandelion with, with Y's instead of I's. And that's a name that I have been using since uh, Live Journal days for all sorts of things from uh uh farm to the silly pokemon game so if you find a wild dandelion out there spelled that way it's probably me and the song i wrote is steel skeletons of the past wild wet wind whistles through steel skeletons buildings that silently scrape the sky now creaking, no longer quite covered by their flesh of concrete and glass. And it's kind of, it's, the style is very unusual for me. Um, I usually go for very melodic things, and this one I did as a spoken word piece. I may eventually write a tune for it, but I don't think it would be a very, the, the tune would be very similar to the, the spoken word that I've already done. Thank you. Okay, Robert, would you like to go next, please? Right, hi. I'm Robert from Berlin, Germany, and on form I go by the name of Amper Sandman. And I also play in a band called Yari, which is spelled J-A-A-R-I. But on, on form it's just me making my, my own stuff. And uh, for this year I'm working this, this whole idea of uh, the Collapse Challenge uh, challenged me to make a concept album, which uh, I think is going to be called Songs from the Collapse. I was really impressed by that when I was seeing that how many songs you had written for the Collapse Challenge. It's amazing. I was going to ask you about a question about that later. All right. So thank you. Next, let's go to Beto. Hey, um, yeah, my name is Beto de Almeida. I'm originally from Brazil. I live in California near San Francisco. Um, I have a one-person band called The Fisherman and the Priestess. Uh, despite the name, it's just me. And my FOM username is Elezimo, which is a made-up word that means 11th. Um, this year, I was, I was, yeah, for the challenge, I was really excited when I saw the prompt and I wrote a song called How Does It Feel? 
And like Deirdre, like it was a very different style than, than what I usually do. I think these are unusual times and they require unusual songs. Thank you. Okay, let's go to Mike. Hi, everybody. So my name is Mike Sklier. That's S-K-L-I-A-R. Uh, that's my band name, my name, uh, whatever. That's the name I've been using on form, Mike Sklier, since like ooh, 2006, I think. Um, let's see. And I, you know, off and on done kind of political songs or topical songs as not necessarily my absolute main thing, but something that I definitely do and probably do a lot more than others um, all the way through from all of my songwriting days. So you know, given everything going on now, the idea of a collapse challenge is certainly nothing completely new. And I probably would have done some of these songs without. Uh, there's probably two biggies that I have specifically that, that, that meet this collapse challenge thing. One, one is the first one I did on there called Interesting Times. Is the collapse coming faster? Unexpected directions. And the other is called Democracy is Leaving. I think the full title is Democracy is Leaving. It may not come back soon, uh, which gives you an idea. And, um, you know, I play guitar and a bunch of other string instruments and, and uh, harmonica and other things and overdub a little bit and, uh, and have fun with it. And, um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited that other people have been writing political stuff as well uh, all the way through, but especially the last couple of years because I think the times really demand it. Um, and it's not all that I do, but it's certainly one big thing of what I do. And I enjoy it very much. Thank you all for those introductions. All right. So all of you obviously have participated in the Collapse Challenge. And I wanted to ask, when you saw the challenge, what was it that made you interested in it? Or what made you want to participate and write a song about Collapse? Uh, well, I'll jump in here first, I guess, Mike Sklyer here. Um, <clears throat> again, for me, this is sort of, uh, you know, this is sort of something that I do. And certainly, you know, looking at, uh, without getting too specifically politically or looking at the, the, the world, the pandemic, everything that's happened in the U.S. where I am, I'm in New York City and other places, you know, in the world as well. It's not unreasonable to think, geez, you know, this is this is interesting times that we live in, which, you know, led to that first song, Interesting Times. Um, so, you know, when I saw Collapse Challenge, I'm like, that's that's in the wheelhouse of what's going on. Now, do I believe the world is ending tomorrow? I, I guess not. I just paid my con ed bill, you know, so um, but, um, you know, it's uh, it, it's certainly all the all the things we've been thinking about and especially the last two years, but not just the last few years is part of that. Um, so I hope that answers it. I can say I would have probably done something similar anyway. Just uh, the challenge um, gave me a sort of structure and gave me some more ideas of topics to cover. But I've been dealing with, with climate change for a lot of years for now. And uh, there, there was a time that I really suffered climate anxiety. Uh, it's, it's better now, but uh, when I write songs... It, I write about what's top of mind, and that's mostly climate change and uh, stuff I read on the news. Otherwise, I don't have so much to write about. My life is, is pretty stable. My relationship is uh, fine long term. I'm I'm not a, a horny young sportsman anymore. So I I think um, I, I just wanna make the music that I would like to listen to as a listener. 
and I I often wondered uh, where the the political songs we need. There are some some, but I think uh, there should be a lot of uh, sh should be a lot more of uh, artists speaking their political minds. Yeah, I just want to say I agree. Uh, I remember I joined Farm in 2016, and then. 2017, I did my first collab with Daniel, and it was a very political song. Um, and this was the year that Trump was elected. And I remember there was this big discussion in the forums. People were like, oh, let's not bring politics into FOM, and let's not discuss politics. And I have a, a different opinion. I think that all songs are political. If you're not talking about politics, it's, it's because of politics. If you're happy and you have a good life, you know, that's like, if you're lucky enough to be able to write those songs, it's because, I don't know, maybe you have some privilege, you're in a context in the world or in your country that allows you to write happy love songs. So those are political songs. And maybe if you're not as lucky, you're going to write political songs that are more explicit and they are like asking for change. And like in the context of the pandemic, like we've been on this for two years and I was really hoping that we would have come out better. What I see after two years is like the rich people, they got richer. Everybody else is, is, you know, we're not in a better place. So when I saw the prompt, I, I, I wrote that song, how do you feel? Because how does it feel? And it, it's somebody talking to like a billionaire asking like, you know, how does it feel to, to be basically like ruining the world? I think there, there are a lot of political songs and a, and a lot of, uh, songs about making the world better out there. And I think that the big corporations that run the media aren't playing them. So I really value that they are being played online. They're being played in other places. They're being written and they're being sung. I, I think that matters a lot. When I started this FOM, I looked at the, I first looked at the challenge and I went, I don't think I have the energy for that right now. And I put it aside. And then one of my oracle cards, one of my random oracle cards was Apocalypse. <laughs> and then I was doing a skirmish, which was the zombie apocalypse. And I'm like, okay, the, the world is telling me I need to, to bring up my voice, but I'm not, I'm not going to do zombies. Thank you. And, and what really fascinates me, I mean, there's a lot of ways for the world to end, but it's all kind of the same story what the different stories are. And I read a lot of science fiction. What, where you really get the different stories is what do you do after? What do you do once you know the world as you knew it ended already? And so I think that's part of where I, where I went is, is these, these people who are uh, trying to navigate this, this after the apocalypse happened city and trying to figure out where they came from and where they can go. Thank you all for those insightful answers. I just wanted to quickly clarify for the listeners when Beto mentioned a moment earlier that he had collaborated with someone named Daniel. That's actually me. Um, I've only used the pen name Pop Mythologist on this podcast, so the listeners didn't know that my real name is Daniel. But yes, I was Beto's collaborator. We wrote this very incendiary political song, which was a lot of fun. Um, I wanted to next touch upon something that was brought up. Mike said earlier, you know, you know, he said it half jokingly, but the world's not ending tomorrow, uh, which is true, obviously. But that made me think of the fact that collapse means different things for different people. 
It's a very broad term, right? It's kind of vague. For some people, yeah, it conjures up images of the apocalypse, as Deirdre was just saying when she drew one of her oracle cards. For a lot of people, it's what's happening now, literally. It's the process of widening wealth disparity and inequality and worsening climate crisis and things like that. So I just wanted to ask, you know, what it was for you that you're most worried about right now. You know, um, Robert earlier was mentioning climate change, and perhaps that's one of those things. Then, of course, it can be a combination of things. Maybe it's a combination of like the economy and supply chain, pandemic, <laughs> like whatever that you personally feel most either most passionate about or most worried about in terms of this idea of collapse and breakdown. And there's no right or wrong answer. This is just about our each our own personal feelings. So I wanted to go ahead and ask that of, of each of you. Uh, tell us what things worry you the most personally or what things get you fired up the most? Well, I think as far as what worries me the most, it's the collapse of the medical infrastructure because I have more than one comorbidity for for this uh, COVID thing. And uh, just everybody, even if you don't have that, even if you don't get COVID, if you have a stroke, if you have a heart attack, if you have a car accident, if the hospitals have collapsed, if the hospitals don't have room, even if they're still working, you could die of something that could otherwise be easily treated. Um, and so that personally, that worries me. What really gets me fired up, I think, is um, wealth inequality, the idea that it's admirable to hoard money and it's not admirable to hoard cats really gets to me. Um, and the, the, this whole global warming thing, which is going to so much change our natural world. And I love our natural world. I, I garden. Um, I, I used to go camping in wilderness spots. Now I need a CPAP machine. And, and so until I can afford, uh, a fancy, uh, solar powered array or wind powered array or something, those places are now closed to me. Um, uh, but but that doesn't mean I love them any the less. Okay, hi, uh, Mike here. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in with two, and and but Deidre, I, I hear you on all those things, and and what everybody said so far. I you know everybody I think has raised some interesting stuff. I'm gonna go with really two things going on that I think are most most concerning. Um, uh, one is the you know which is addressed in my song, uh, "Democracy Is Leaving." The whole concept of of uh, the United States in particular and other places around the world, to be sure, turning increasingly to authoritarianism, totalitarianism, uh, you know, uh, you know, fascism almost, uh, you know, not quite there yet, but all the indicia are, are starting to be there. Um, and just to throw a, just a, a couple of random facts at people, I don't think people realize how deeply skewed, how right wing skewed the American political system is. The Senate, the, the U.S. Senate is now evenly split. 50 Democrats, 50 Republican senators. Well, the Democratic senators, because they represent typically states like California, which has two senators, as compared to, I don't know, North Dakota that has two, the Democrats represent 41 million more people than the Republicans do. And if you look at actual social policy, what people want with climate change, with you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, right to choose abortion, with the gay lesbian rights, with all the other stuff, Time and time again, 
what people really want to ask most people is the sort of mainstream democratic stuff. And this right wing, you know, Trump led authoritarianism is really a scary thing. And in the wake of the big lie, the big the big 2020, uh, you know, Trump thinks he won the election by by millions. Um, there were so many people that actively believe that and so many people that get their news sources from other places and have, you know, like like denigrated any kind of quote unquote mainstream news. Um, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna try to keep this reasonably short. I know I could go on. Um, that you know it it, it becomes um, a more and more worrying thing when they start saying, well, state legislatures can pick their own electoral college, and maybe you know, does that mean maybe Michigan, let's say, which is a swing state, or Pennsylvania, will suddenly choose Republican electors because quote unquote uh, too many of the wrong people voted in uh, you know you know there was something like that. Um, it's some scary stuff. And the fact that the Senate is so deadlocked that we can't pass voting rights, that's the, that, that's that, that guarding that process is going to be what takes care of the other thing. The other thing being what, uh, what, uh, Robert said, I mean, climate change is huge. And unfortunately it's not being addressed nearly as much as it should be and not being taken seriously. And, you know, there's still quote unquote experts that will give you a lot of, a lot of nonsense. There's a great uh, movie, by the way, called Merchants of Doubt, which talks about the same, the same climate deniers also being, you know, uh, the people that the, the tobacco industry uh, uh, paid for years saying, you know, tobacco, you know, tobacco doesn't cause cancer or what have you. Um, it's the same, the same playbook. Um, but so those are really the two, the two things that erosion of democracy and erosion of, of common sense and, you know, increasing polarization and then the climate crisis. Of course, I, I, I already mentioned the, the climate crisis as something that uh, deeply concerns me. And that's not only the, the weather changing, but also means the, the collapse of entire ecosystems. And I think uh, when they collapse, we, we only then we re realize how much we depend on them. So this is something that really concerns me, but uh, I've gained a different view on the topic. I already mentioned that I really suffered climate anxiety and this uh, took a, a toll on my emotional health. And now I have a, I'm, I'm in a bit better place now. And I also see um, that it brings a lot of change. And that's also what the, this uh, concept of uh, collapse means to me. It means a huge change but uh, not always for the worse, sometimes for the better. So could uh, already in, in, in politics, uh, it has brought quite some positive change, I think. Yeah, I think, like everyone said, it's really hard to say one thing. Everything is, is connected, I think. But like climate change, I, I used to be a climate scientist. Um, and I, I worked with climate science before, and then eventually I, I switched careers. And I did that, I think, nine years ago uh, when I switched careers 10 years ago. I didn't think it would be this bad. I thought it was like, okay, we're going to solve this. This is going to be addressed. And, and I became a software engineer and went to work with data. And I kind of regret that because I think like climate scientists are needed more. Like we're, we're just digging ourselves a bigger hole. There's a lot of runaway effects with climate change. So as we get more warming, we get permafrost, uh, you know, um, thawing, and then that creates a feedback effect where we're going to get even more warming. Um, the, the, the polar caps melting also, they reduce the albedo of the earth. We absorb more light and then we tend to have more, um, more warming. So I, I'm scared that we might be like 
a few decades from having that runaway effect and having climate and like climate doesn't have to alter a lot to have impact. Like if the temperature goes up by, goes up by one Celsius, one degree Celsius, that's already like a huge impact. I think a lot of people don't realize what an average of one degree Celsius more means. And if we have like a runaway effect like that, it's, it, I think it's going to get really ugly. And then like our whole energy matrix, like how we rely on fossil fuels and fossil fuels are really easy. Like in our history, they're really easy to explore and like build society. And if we have to, if society collapses and we have to bootstrap society again, you'll be really hard because the easy energy is no longer available because we use all that oil. Um, so I think those are my concerns. And then of course, all of this is tied with people accumulating money in such a way that we never saw before. And now you have like 10 people who basically they decide what's going to happen with the world, right? One way or another. Thank you for those wonderful answers. In this section, I would like to ask each of you specific questions about your specific songs. And Beto, we'll start with you. You wrote a song called, How Does It Feel? As you mentioned. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, because like you said, it sounds so very different from any of your other work in a good way. I mean, I thought it was like super cool. I love the raw punk energy feel of the song. And the defining feeling for me was anger in the mm -hmm. song. And because of the word guillotine in the song, which you mentioned in your, in your song notes that it just kind of came out, <laughs> you know, it wasn't something you had written, I think, into the lyrics, but just kind of came out. That was really yeah. interesting. And obviously, so like revolutions are a type of collapse in the sense that it's not Armageddon, but it's the collapse of an existing social order. And historically, typically, one of the things that leads up to it, of course, is massive inequality, which we are seeing very much in the U.S. today. Is the word revolution, is that kind of accurate? Is that kind of what was on your mind as you were writing the song? Yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, I had the lyrics written and printed and I was, you know, doing takes. And on the last take, like I just shouted guillotine when it came to the chorus and it, it worked really well, but I was surprised by it. So I don't think we can change the world like in, in small steps, you know, like I think we need some kind of rupture with the current system. Uh, I don't think we're going to vote ourselves out of this situation because, you know, because money votes also like it, it, money shouldn't vote, but money votes and it, like people who have money, they're lobbying and they make the laws and, and they, they define like how, how the government runs. Right. So I don't think we can vote ourselves out of this. Um, and I'm not saying like, I'm not advocating for violence. I'm, I'm very nonviolent. Um, of course, guillotine is a metaphor for like, you know, we need to like kill the heads of the old system and chop the heads off the, the old system and, and do something better. Right. So that's, um, I think that was my intent. Like it is just anger. Like it doesn't, my song doesn't offer solutions. It doesn't explain what's going on. It's just like somebody really frustrated with how, how things are today. And you just brought up a good point in that music and art in general doesn't necessarily give answers. And that's a topic I'm going to get to in just a minute. 
um, that I would like everyone actually to to discuss. But next, I'm going to go to Deirdre. You wrote a song called Steel Skeletons of the Past, which was really powerful and haunting. I mean, those lyrics, such vivid imagery, you know, and I thought it was interesting because like, as you said, it's also very different from your other work. Could you walk us through what was going on in your mind and in your heart as you were writing the song? I guess I just kind of uh, threw myself into the the what would it be like after and tried to to be there internally and imagine it. Um, I think that people thinking about what it's like after and realizing that their their internet won't be around, their TV won't be around, probably their books won't be around, their their guitars or their roller skates or whatever else they do. There'll be no support for keeping those things going. Uh, you know, where would you even get your guitar strings? And I think feeling that is the beginning to saying, well, maybe it's worth a little sacrifice now to try and keep our world in a shape that's doable. Weeds grow in that abundance, tangled flowers and grasses, but food to feed the masses, no, that's all in the past. We quest to find the temple, the hallowed halls of quiet, where books on all topics shelter from the sun. We're trying to start over our small family of rovers, but we shall surely fail if we don't know how this begun. And then I'm thinking about, um, you know, what do I what do I put in the back of this? I don't. This this doesn't work for the pretty auto harp background. And I thought about different things that I have around, and one of them that I have around is some of these lovely Tibetan singing bowls. And usually you do these things and you do them as a meditation. And so you get this lovely, lovely, calm sound that just goes forward and forward. And it can be a very, a very kind of cleaning, clearing out sound, a very meditative thing. And I thought, what happens if instead of playing it that way, you, you deliberately let the let the thing you're playing it with hit it wrong and so i use this this meditative thing instead to try and mimic the the whistling of wind through rotting buildings rotting steel buildings and the uh remembered sound of the wheels squealing on the l track this is definitely chicago that i was imagining with with the the elevated cars now having fallen down and cracked open like eggs. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my, where my process was. I'm proud to say I recognize the L reference, <laughs> having lived in Chicago for a few years. Um, thank you for that answer. That was fascinating. Robert, I wanted to ask you about one of your songs called The Lie. And obviously, as you mentioned, you're doing an entire concept album, which just blows me away. And I've listened to each of those songs so far and I've been impressed by all of them. But there was something about The Lie that really gripped me and I wanted to ask you about. It was so, it was so sad. And even though I'm not a father, I could totally see where you were coming from. 
And, you know, I don't want to over-explain the song uh, to the audience. I want to let you talk about it a little bit and kind of tell us about what you were, the kind of pain and anguish you were expressing in this song. And, and first of all, tell the audience what it's about. For this, I think I have to explain my process because I, I start with uh, singing just nonsense and having this sort of mood. And I had this uh, line uh, that went, let me lie to you. And then I had to think of one time that my daughter, who is nine years old, asked me if I thought there were still polar bears when she's older. And uh, I knew the, the answer would be no. And uh, I'd have to explain to her that by the end of the century, about one third of all species on Earth will have disappeared. But uh, I just couldn't get it over me. And I um, tried to tell her something along the lines that nature always finds a way and humans uh, can can maybe still uh, do something about climate change but she's she's uh, such a such a, a wonderful sweetheart and so so passionate about animals she just loves them so much and uh, yeah she of course uh, came across some some sad news and what I wanted to express uh, that moment that I had to tell this white lie of everything will be fine when I think, uh, when I often think uh, the the terrorists that they will grow up to see the, all the, all, this whole generation of my daughter. This is the great. So um, I, I made this song and uh, um, only uh, reading the, the feedback that the other performers gave me made enough impact that I actually was uh, brought to tears by my own song, which uh, happens rarely. But yeah, this is, of course, a, a very heavy topic for, I think, for all parents. Um, I've been in a, in a group called Parents for Future who are supporting the Fridays for Future movement group and every one of them tells similar stories. They all um, were parents and then suddenly they realized uh, what was at stake and how the future would look like for their children. And being a parent uh, gives you extra motivation to um, have the conditions on, on earth preserved, livable. So yeah, that's the lie. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you mentioned a community, and I wanted to mention one as well. On the website Reddit, there's a group called Collapse Support, and a lot of the people there talk about this very subject and about all the kinds of feelings they're trying to cope with, and we sort of support each other. I'm actually a part of that community. There's another one called Collapse Parenting, uh, which you may be interested in as well. So next, I wanted to go to Mike. and. You already mentioned this, but uh, a fair amount, not all of it, but a fair amount of your work is very political and socially conscious. It's one of the things I've consistently enjoyed about your music over the years on FOM. And uh, you already mentioned some of the stuff about democracy. So I wanted to ask you about interesting times where you point to numerous factors of collapse in the same song, you know, political corruption, pandemic, and this and that. 
And uh, one of the really interesting things about that song is despite all these things, towards the end, you talk about increasing the love that you find and above all, being kind. Is there an ending to this story? Can we write a better third act? We got to do more than just take inventory of these inconvenient facts. Increase the love that you find and above all, be kind when you're living in interesting times. Now, I was wondering if you talk about that, like amidst all these problems that are often overwhelming and with let's face it, limited control that we have over the outcome of those things. Do you feel that just kind of loving each other and being kind is kind of one of the things that we have the most control over? Interesting question. Um, you know, there's there's so many levels to, you know, kind of political, so to speak, awareness. And, you know, I, I think of the journey that, like, for example, say John Lennon made of being very explicitly political, but then also, and, you know, other, Jerry Garcia said the same thing, Bob Dylan, you know, you're, you're, you're political up to a point and then you have to, you have to make it personal in a way. And I think, I think that, that, that it's, it's an essential thing. If you're going to have empathy for others, which is really ultimately what politically we kind of want, it has to start somewhere with you. You know, it has to start where you're, where you're not seeing the, the world as, as other, the world is, as, as anything. And, and I guess, this won't quite answer the question that way, but one of the things I like to do that I think is 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 always a nice way to do it is to try to do things with humor. You know, when I think of uh, people like George Carlin, who said so much in very funny ways, but made a made a point of of saying it. And a songwriter I like a lot, who's not not very well known, but I, I like well, Loudon Wainwright, Loudon Wainwright the Third. Um, you know, people that that can can take something. And make it and make it personal and maybe make it humorous and make a larger point with it, but without hitting you over the head with you got to do this, you got to do this, and you're a bad person if you don't do this, that, and the other, and you have to believe X, Y, and Z. I don't think that's quite where it starts. I think it's, you know, and everybody's got to do it on their level and, and how they do it. And, 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 you know, at the end of that song specifically, the, the, the verses you, the verse you quoted at the end, I think I was kind of looking for, you know, like some sort of a, there's got to be a little bit of an out somewhere that we feel that we can do something. Because if I just want to say it's hopeless and everything's screwed, eh, you know, there's, you know, again, to put it back to Lenin, what did he, what did he, what did he say? If you, if you want money from minds that hate, well, eh, late, you know, not really, you know, you can count me, you know, he would say you can count me out, count me in, you know, there's always that yin yang, but, but you, you want to try to stay engaged. You want to try to stay a little bit, humorous you know that's why also in the song i i have a reference to an al uh, an al pacino line and a reference to the wally sean and the princess bride and you know i kind of throw whatever cultural references for me that i have that hopefully resonate so that people can, can can bring a little something to it um anyway i hope that didn't ramble too long in answers and by the way everybody else's songs here really wonderful and uh and robert yeah i i i listened to that song the lie and it broke my heart you know it's great Let's talk next about the role of art. I recently watched a show called Station Eleven that's partly about the role of art when things just seem to be falling apart around you. And I was hoping that each of you could talk about what you see as being the role of art in general and music specifically. 
during difficult times, or as Mike would say, interesting times, it could be, you know, about helping people to cope with their feelings or to articulate their feelings through your music, you know, um, it could be about trying to inspire people to take action. It could be any number of things. So I'd just kind of like to hear each of you briefly speak on where you see the role of art and music as being during all this turmoil. I think I, I basically see like two uh, roles for art in this. One is healing. Uh, I think art and music in particular is, is important to help you heal um, sometimes you listen to a sad song and even though it's sad, it will still help you heal because if you feel sad, then we have sadness in ourselves. Um, and, but you realize that the sadness you have is, is not unique. Other people are also sad and it helps you connect to people that, that have that same feeling. So I think even a sad song can be healing, even though it's sad and it makes you feel sad. Um, I mentioned the song I made, it's like a punk. Usually the songs I try to do. They're like hopeful. I usually do instrumental songs, but I, I like to make them hopeful and, and convey that sense of hope, which I think is another way of healing and, and, and giving purpose or helping. But there's also like the call to action song, right? Or art and, and song again, because like I'm from Brazil. We had a military dictatorship when I was growing up and song was really important in making people like question the dictatorship and it's easy to unite around the song. Somebody like if, if everybody's singing the same song, they automa they're automatically united and you realize you're bigger than just yourself, right? You're part of a movement. So I think there's a lot of value in the explicit political song that is like calling you to get together and do something. And I know the U S you've had, um, we have songs like this also. Can I jump in? Uh, first of all, uh, you know, uh, kudos to everything Beto said. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I'll do a specific, gen a, a general and a specific. But let me start with the specific because there's something that just happened in the last two weeks that I think started out as kind of a, a semi-bad thing and ended up to be something a little bit hopeful, which is that uh, Neil Young and then, then Joni Mitchell and then others started saying, hey, Spotify. Uh, you know, you, you could you could you could hate Spotify for many reasons. I hate Spotify. One of the is they, they barely, if ever, pay artists, you know, like, you know, you have 30, 30,000 streams, you get a penny, you know. But more importantly, they got uh, without getting too into the weeds of it, they were giving 100 billion dollars to Joe Rogan for an exclusive, exclusive podcast at which he has all sorts of, you know, vaccine skeptics and what have you pontificate a lot of nonsense, uh, you know, and it's a range of stuff. But I think that when Neil Young said, look, him or me. And, you know, there was certainly a pushback by the right wing. Oh, it's censorship, which, of course, it's not because it's not the government. But all of a sudden, Rogan had to apologize. They took a bunch of his podcasts, the more crazy ones off the air. And I think it was a little bit of a sense to everybody. Here's Neil Young, uh, you know, a guy from the 60s that like, you know, what relevance? I'm sure everybody under 30s, Neil who or is he still alive even? But suddenly it became a little bit of, from the guy who wrote uh, Ohio and, you know, find the cost of freedom and what have you. Um uh, suddenly became a, a little bit of a, of a nice rallying cry, you know, of, hey, artists can do something in the public sphere. I mean, I don't think that necessarily writing the song, you know, somebody once said that they that they, they interviewed Crosby or Nash or one of them and said, oh, yeah, uh, you know, we wrote these songs and they ended the Vietnam War. Well, no, not really. But, you know, the fact is that these songs uh, that are that are in the thing, they they coalesce us. They coalesce a movement. They 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 give 
a voice and a and and an expression to a feeling that's maybe out there and kind of crystallize it and and can kind of you know categorize it. But I think it's really important to have that action. Once you do that, okay, what are you going to do with that power? Are you just going to sit there and you know like oh this is my next album project, or are you going to say hey this week let's talk about the fact that there's no water, uh, clean water, and you know or something or whatever. So I think that's the role of art to be both specific and to kind of generally inspire. I think one of the really important things art can do is they can get you out of yourself. They can, it can get you seeing the other person, however you define that, as a person, not as this enemy class of people that is trying to take over what you've got or however, however it is that's, that's blocking you from seeing the general humanity of all people. Uh, I think, I, I mean, I don't do humor very well most of the time, but I think humor is really important because if you're going, if somebody has a really thoroughly entrenched position, the chance of them changing their mind is really slim. And if you attack their position directly, there's this reflexive defensiveness that just happens before they even think about it. And if instead you go indirectly and you get them laughing about something, there's there's a moment there where they're seeing something differently and their defenses are down. And I think that can be really powerful. Um, and so I don't think that it's always easy to to quantify the difference that art makes besides the obvious lifting your spirits, uh, getting people to, to come together behind something and, and those sort of things. But I think it, it's vital in expanding people's horizons and in helping break down the barriers that people without even thinking erect between them and other people who they have a lot in common with once, once they get past that. Right. Um, the, the, the other guys already said a lot of uh, beautiful and, and right things. Um, there, the, there were two uh, examples that, uh, that uh, brought me to think of system of a down. One was their prison song, which transports the very factual information through the means of songs. And I've always thought that to be a, a great example of, uh, how to have people educate themselves on, on societal problems like the, the U.S. prison system. It's uh, absolutely 20 years uh, after still a fascinating and, and breaking song. And the other the thing is uh, they have their political differences inside their band. Uh, their drummer, John Dolmayan, uh, is sort of a Republican supporter and... Um, there were some some calls to fire John from the band because uh, his his views expressed uh, do not match with the the band's messages, and they they just uh, stayed together. Said we're a band, we're we're in for the music, we're brothers, we're in for something greater than this divide in society. And by that, they can also show how music uh, unites people and uh, gets them united behind a bigger cause. As I mentioned, I definitely want to be respectful of your time. I know you're all busy uh, racing to finish FOM. So the last question will be, please tell the audience where they can find you on the internet 
Um, you can, of course, mention your personal farm page or any personal websites or any social media that you use frequently, SoundCloud, whatever it may be. Why don't we start with Deirdre? So as I said, I'm Wild Dandelion on farm, and I am Wild Underline Dandelion on uh, Dreamwith. I do have an author Goodreads page. I have uh, a very few things published. Um, I have a story. I should dig it out and send it to you because I wrote a story about the polar bears and somebody trying to save them, and I think your daughter might enjoy it. But that hasn't been published yet. Um, but you can find me on Patreon. And the song that we've been talking about of mine is HTTPS colon slash slash www.patreon.com slash posts slash 6226529. And my Patreon is https slash slash www.patreon.com slash wild dandelion. And that's spelled W Y L D underline or, or hyphen D A N D E L Y O N. Thank you, Deirdre. Beto, would you like to go next? Yeah. Um, so my, my website is thefishermanandthepriestess.com. It's fisherman, plural. I understand there's a different pronunciation for fisherman and fisherman. I can't really do that right in English, but fisherman, plural, and thepriestess.com. That's my, my page and it has everything there. Thank you. Robert? I'm, you can find me on SoundCloud, uh, which is soundcloud.com slash ampersandman. From there, I also link to my Bandcamp site and my band is facebook.com slash Yari Berlin, which is spelled J-A-A-R-I-B-E-R-L-I-N. And last but not least, Mike. Okay, well, it's fairly easy. Um, I all the albums I've done since about 2012, I have a couple from before that are were on CD Baby and here and there, are all on Bandcamp. Um, free or name your price, most of them. Um, and so Bandcamp, B-A-N-D-C-A-M-P, is a really wonderful site because uh, unlike a lot of other places, it really does pay the musicians um, something for that. It's a, it takes a very small cut and uh, it's a very user-friendly kind of site. So it's under... Just look under Bandcamp uh, slash or whatever, Mike, M-I-K-E, Sklyer, and that's spelled S-K-L-I-A-R, S-K-L-I-A-R. So just one word, Mike Sklyer. Uh, I think they do with no spaces. Um, and you'll see, um, I usually put out about one album a year, sometimes two, depending on all the stuff I've done for 50 Songs in 90 Days or February Album Writing Month. Um, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure, that probably by the end of March or so, I will have a new album with the songs Interesting Times and Democracy is Leaving and other ones probably all put up there um, what they all, before they all go out of date or, or we all uh, you know have to end up in uh, fleeing to Canada. Kidding, kidding. I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I do think that uh, it's, it is Interesting Times, as I said. So anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling on, but yes, Bandcamp is the best way to find me. Um, you can just Google me, Mike Sklyer. I'm in New York City. And um, yeah, and thank you, uh, Daniel, for doing this. This was really great. All right. Thank you, everyone, for being on the show today and for sharing with us your wonderful music and your thoughts and feelings. Um, yeah. Happy farming. Thank you. Thanks. It's been great. Thank
Thank you. Thank you for doing thanks. this. Thanks, thanks everybody. for having us. Yeah, this is great. I want to once again thank all my guests. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would definitely encourage you to check out FOM. Once again, that's February Album Writing Month, FOM.org. Everyone is welcome. You don't have to be a songwriter or musician. You can just be someone who likes music. And it's free to just go on and listen to people's songs. And if you want, you can leave comments. Just keep in mind that it's not really a space for critiquing songs. It's more of a place to encourage each other and share in the spirit of creativity. And who knows, even if you start off just by being a listener, you might get bitten by the FOM bug and start writing some stuff yourself. That's actually what happened to me. I, I started out as just a listener. And even though I still don't compose music, sometimes I do write lyrics. And speaking of which, instead of the usual jingle that I use for this podcast, I want to close out today's episode with a song from this year's FOM that I co-wrote with one of my favorite FOMers, the Jelly Man, aka the Jelly Factory, whose username on FOM is CTS. That's CTS. I'll link to him in the show notes. He did all the heavy lifting on this song. All I did was write some lyrics about a bunch of rich people leaving Earth on a giant spaceship called the Star Ark, and to them, collapse is just like this one really big party because they're not affected by it. So, hope you enjoy it. Until next time, I'm the Pop Mythologist, and don't you wish you had the money to get up in the Star Ark, honey. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please subscribe, and if you're willing, share one of these episodes on social media. If your chosen podcast platform allows reviews, like Apple Podcasts, I invite you to leave a review as well. Thank you.